The gospel reading is from Luke chapter 13. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Good morning again, everyone. It's uh, great to be in worship with you. It's great to have um, friends and family of the Evans and I got here, I don't know, 15 minutes before the service started, and usually it's crickets in here. Uh, not literal, but just, you know, metaphorically. And there was, it was half the pews were filled. I couldn't believe it. So you guys show up to your own churches 10 minutes early? I, I need to figure out how do, we, how do we package what you have and distribute it to in town. Um, we've been looking at our uh, core values, and... Um, they are printed for you. I'm not going to read them, but as I was reflecting upon the last five sermons that we've done on these, uh, I thought there still was a little bit more to say, and so I wanted to do a couple of sermons just by way of recap. Some of the things that I feel like does or should capture um, the zeitgeist of our community and who we are and what we are about, and um, this particular passage is one that I've wanted to address for a while, and it just seemed fitting. So I'm going to talk this morning about the width of the door and the key to the door and then the other side of the door. And as we get started, let me pray. Father, I pray that you would speak to us. We need to hear from you. We come from so many different places. Many of us have been in your church for decades, and this is a comfortable spot for us. Some of others are here wondering if there's truth to be found here, wondering if there's healing to be found here, and maybe we are uncomfortable being in a a gathered religious place like this, and I pray that you would calm our fears and our anxieties, and wherever we're coming from, Lord, I pray that you would walk into our story in a new way, that we would meet you afresh, that all of us would have um, our presuppositions challenged, that all of us would find something new to grab hold of, find something new to apply in life. And if we are looking in from the outside and trying to make a decision about whether we can be Christians, whether we believe this makes any sense whatsoever, I pray that you would reach out to us and that you would find us where we are and let us take a step toward you just as you have stepped towards us in the gospel. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus, or, uh, Jesus says that as he was going through, sorry, Jesus didn't write this gospel, but Luke says that Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. And someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And it's a pretty simple yes-no 
type of question, pretty simple binary answer. But he doesn't agree to the terms, and he sort of prods them to ask a different question and to ask them the question they should be asking. Because they knew, when he, he knew that they were asking, how many of us are going to be saved? Because, you see, they knew the answer to this other question of the amount. Genesis 12 says Abraham is said to be a blessing to the nations and that his descendants will be more than grains of sand. And they knew Isaiah 25, all peoples and all nations. And then, but between then and when Jesus came, the scope apparently had narrowed quite considerably because to these people, it doesn't even include most of the Jews. It's only the truly, truly righteous. And Jesus is talking about his gospel, his way, his door being narrow, but he's not talking about it in terms of statistics. It's not narrow in the way that we would expect it to be. He says, verse 24, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. He's not entering into their speculation about statistics. He's not saying that the number of people who will be saved is necessarily few. He is not saying that the number is narrow, but that the door itself is narrow. Now, what makes a door narrow or wide? If you're building a house and you order just a standard exterior door, it's going to come in a 36-inch width. You can get them bigger, of course. You can get them gigantic. But somewhere down the line, contractors or manufacturers decided to sort of standardize the door, make things simple. And 36 is the right size for most human beings to enter into a house. It's not too big and it's not too narrow. But if you make your garage door 36 inches, it's not going to be large enough. It has to be 8 feet for most American automobiles to fit in. But you can't, of course, drive a fire truck into your personal home garage. It's not going to be big enough. If you want to put a garage door on a firehouse, it has to be much, much wider. So what determines whether something is narrow or wide? What determines it is what you're trying to put through it. The wideness or narrowness of the door of salvation is determined by who is trying to go through it. And some people are larger than others. The door is plenty wide to accommodate the right-sized people. But you see, the more of yourself that you're trying to push through the door, the more narrow it does seem because there are some parts of us that just won't go through that door. So what does this mean? Who will find the door too narrow? Well, Jesus tells us. He says that there will be some who object to being on the wrong side of the door. And what's their objection? Verse 26, we ate and drank with you, Jesus, and you taught in our streets. Jesus, you're, you're one of us. You came to us. You preached in our streets. You sat at our table. It's the response of privilege, of entitlement. You see, these people want to walk through the door without changing, without leaving behind their pretense and their religious pride, their ethnic firstness 
You see, none of that will fit through the door. It's too narrow. In effect, they want to take themselves through the door, but they find it locked, and so they need the key. Now, it used to be very common for a groom to pick up his bride and carry her across the threshold into a new home, and few couples do that now because it's sort of patriarchal. It could be a little bit demeaning. But in a culture where the man was expected to be the provider, be the protector, it was meant to symbolize the groom's strength, and it's meant to symbolize his sacrifice, that he is carrying the groom into a new home and into a new life. And maybe it's a little bit old-fashioned, but what is signified is quite beautiful. This is a person that's giving up their rights, their independency, their autonomy, and carrying someone into a new life. But you see, that's not what the Pharisees wanted. They thought their ethnicity would carry them. They thought their righteousness, their morality would carry them. They thought these things were the key to unlock the door. But Jesus says, no, you're using the wrong key. He is saying that He is the key and that He is the only one to carry you over the threshold through that narrow door. He goes so far as to call these very moral people evildoers in verse 27. This is stunning because these were the most moral people in all of Israel. But in some crucial way, they're not just ignoring the door. They're not just unaware. They're demanding that God change the terms. They want to keep the door wide for themselves but narrow for other people. You see, these people don't complain that the door is narrow because of some pluralistic altruism, but so that it will accommodate them without requiring them to change. Indeed, Jesus goes on, verse 30, there are those who are last who will be first, and the first who will be last. You see, Jesus is inverting the scales of measurement that the religious people were using, and He's saying that those who see themselves as insiders are in danger of being excluded while those who can't imagine that God's love could flow to them, they might just trip and fall through the door. It's narrow for some. It's exceedingly wide for others. In Jesus' kingdom, you see, your lastness is your firstness. Only the last can finish first. first. Only those with nothing can get through the door. But you see, most of us don't have nothing. We have something. We have a lot that we want to carry through the door. And they have something that they can't let go of. And it keeps the door locked. It keeps it narrow. Those who demand, those who expect to be first, will end up dead last. And they will mourn and they will grieve. It says, verse 28, there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. You see, a person who expects to finish eighth and then they finish ninth, they may be a little bit bummed, but they're not gnashing their teeth at number eight who beat them. But if a person expects to be first and then they finish dead last, they're sad, they're weeping, they're gnashing their teeth at the person 
who won. But you see, for those who expect to be passed over, for those who expect to be last, who are then invited to the front, these people are overcome with joy. People don't rejoice, you see, because they were given their due. People don't rejoice because they were given what they expected to be given. They rejoice because they were given something they don't deserve, something free, something better than they could have expected. And this is the joy of heaven. Me? I get to get in? I get to go through the door? This is the joy that's on the other side of the door. So we've talked about width and narrowness. We talked about the key. And now finally, I want to talk about the other side of the door a little bit more explicitly. Any Doctor Who fans here? That's okay. You probably don't want to raise your hand. You might get a little scorn or look down upon for watching a British science fiction thing. But you understand that in the Doctor Who series that this doctor goes around in this police box called the TARDIS. And it's pretty small. It's about four by four and maybe about seven feet tall. But as the doctor opens the door and goes into the TARDIS, the whole world is opened up. In fact, all of history is opened up. You see, what looks small on the outside is actually very fantastically large on the inside. The door of the gospel is most narrow to those who stay out, those who complain about the terms those who say, I deserve to be inside, but it's widest to go those who go through. To those who open the door and step inside, a whole new world is opened up to them. It was wide enough to include me. That's the joy inside. Now, these people, the last to first people, they don't put their foot on the door, as it were, to hold the door shut like a a mean big brother holding the door shut on their sister in the, in the bathroom and not letting them out. It's one of the easiest and funnest practical jokes, by the way. <laughs> Happens a good bit in my house. How could you not be tempted to put your foot against the door and giggle quietly outside while the person is wondering, how do I get out of this thing? Well, where is the modern-day church in this illustration? We like to be... Thought, like to think of ourselves as the ones being picked on. We have this sort of persecution complex that everyone is after me and everyone is against me. But I think in this illustration, most people outside would look at the church as the one who has the foot on the door. We're in and you're out, and only certain kinds of people can come through this door. The narrow door seems exclusive narrow-minded, but Jesus says anyone can come in. Those from the east, the west, the north, and the south, that is, the farthest reaches of the world, anyone can come in while the door, church has its foot on the door. Where does this story take place in? It's on Jesus' way to Jerusalem. To do what? To die to go to the cross. You see, he's not offering just a detached theory about the afterlife. He's not speculating about statistics and numbers. He is all in to answer this question visibly, to depict the answer. 
while the religious people want to affirm their own righteousness, they want Jesus to affirm their own righteousness, Jesus offers his life to those farthest from grace, those on the edges, those who will actually offend religious people's sensibilities. Those people, those farthest from grace, it seems, in all of Jesus' stories are the ones who are actually closest. And the ones who think of themselves as closest, close to Jesus are those who are generally the farthest away. Those from the north and the south and the east and the west will come and have a safe seat, a prominent seat at the eternal feast. You see, he doesn't enter into these binary questions, but he says, do you want to know who can be saved? Look at me. Look at him on the cross. And then he laments, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stone those who sent to you. You see, friends, that's the perfect picture of hyper-religious people that are counting on their own righteousness to get through the door. They actually stone the prophets. How often Jesus says, I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. You see, it was their unwillingness that actually made the door narrow. They were unwilling to walk through a wide door. They hated the idea of a wide door. And meanwhile, Jesus is busy gathering his hens, chicks like a mother hen, Given the number of animals that Jesus could choose from, it's curious that he chooses a hen, a common barnyard animal, and a a female one, no less. A mother hen doesn't inspire very much confidence. A mother hen is not the lion of the tribe of Judah who will come in with a sword, who will come in as a warrior king, who will come in to rescue Israel from their political oppressors. He's not the warrior Messiah that the Pharisees were waiting on. Why a hen? It's interesting. Barbara Brown Taylor, who is one of my favorite preachers, says that if you think of it, this is actually a pretty typical way that Jesus talks about His own life and His own ministry. He is always turning things upside down so that children and peasants wind up on top while kings and scholars land on the bottom. He is always wrecking our expectations of how things should turn out by giving prizes to losers and paying the last first. So, of course, he chooses a chicken, which is about as far from a fox as you can get. That way, the options become very clear. You can live by licking your chops, or you can die by protecting the chicks. Jesus won't be a king of the jungle in this or any other story. What he will be is a mother hen who stands between the chicks and those who mean to do them harm. She has no fangs, no claws, no rippling muscles. All she has is her willingness to shield her babies with her own body. If the fox wants them, he will have to kill her first, which in the gospel stories he does, as it turns out. You read stories of barnyard fires and those who are cleaning up and below the ashes and the rubble, you find a a scorched and burned and dead hen with live chicks underneath her wings, and she has literally given her life to protect 
her chicks. And that's the story of Jesus, that He offers His life to protect His children, His people, any who will come through His door. He is willing to die for. Walking through that door is taking up residence underneath His wings. It is saying what makes the door wide is saying, I am lost. I am without hope in the world. I am helpless. Would you gather me in and carry me through that door. And who, upon receiving protection by death, who, upon receiving salvation by being carried through the door, could put their foot on the door to keep someone else out? How is this a summary, sort of, partially, for our core values series? Well, I've thought more about this this week than any other part of the sermon, and I'm still not sure. But I think it has to do with in town being a welcoming place for those people who think that the door is too narrow for them. A welcoming place to those who think the door is too narrow for them and to say to them, you are included. If Jesus carried me, He can certainly carry you. That in town on one hand would be a welcoming place for the lost and the least and the last. And maybe the corollary to that is to be an offensive place for those who want a safe seat, who want to let themselves in through a very wide door but want to keep the door very narrow for other people, to put the foot on the door of God's grace and not allow others to come in. In other words, I think like Jesus Himself in town should be in the business of healing the hurting and convicting the comfortable. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that You would help us to sift through this very difficult passage, and I pray that as we think about it, we would think first of all about where we are in relation to You and into Your door. And I pray that You would help us to do business with all of the things that we feel like make us righteous, make us justified, make us able to walk through the door on our own, and help us to forsake those things. And Father, I pray for all of those who are here considering your door, considering your way, I pray that you would invite us in, that you would embrace us, that you would call us again, that we don't even need to step through the door, that you will carry us. And I pray that we would give ourselves over to you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.